Hey, so last week, some of you were here and some of you were not, but we had our lead pastors, Carl and Ange Crocker, here with us, which was a, a special privilege. And Carl shared a word with us last week, which was very much a prophetic word speaking into the season that we're in at the moment. He described it as a winter season in the natural, which I think we can all see evidence of, but it's also a winter season in the spiritual. It's a season where it may be harder to see evidence of growth and new life, but where we need to understand that there is seed being planted in the soil, that God is still doing things in the church locally and globally, that lives are still being transformed, and that we must not waste the season that we're in. If you weren't here, then I really would encourage you to listen to that message through our app or on a podcast or, um, or get a hold of it somehow, so I believe it will be a real blessing to you. And Carl began his message last week by talking about roller coasters, and he was saying that life has been a bit of a roller coaster over the last couple of years, and he suggested that maybe people have been overcome by a sense of motion sickness, much as he was, and he shared a story, uh, when he rode the roller coaster in Rainbow's End a few years ago. It was a good story. And as he was sharing his roller coaster story, I couldn't help be reminded of a roller coaster story of my own, which seems appropriate to share this morning, even though I know some of you have heard it before. But uh, roughly five or six years ago, our family had the amazing opportunity to have a few days holiday over on the Gold Coast in Australia. It was one of those dreams that you have as parents to wait for your kids to get old enough so that you can go over and really enjoy a holiday like that. And our plan for the holiday had a very simple focus. We wanted to spend as much time at the theme parks as we possibly could over the six days that we had. You know, there's a lot to do in the Gold Coast, but Christchurch really doesn't have theme parks, so we thought we can do something that we can't do at home. So the very first morning we were there, we get up early and we all set off for SeaWorld. You know, Joe and I had done theme parks before, but the kids really hadn't done anything like it. And so as we started walking through the park, there were lots of oohs and ahs and wows and what's that and can we go there and can we do that and can we eat that and can we buy that. You know, they loved the atmosphere, they loved the sights and sounds and they loved, they loved the sea creatures and the dolphins and sea lions and turtles and polar bears. Oh my, is that how the song goes? Joe actually got kissed by a sea lion. Um, that doesn't happen every day. Sea lion is not a term of endearment for me or anything. It's, um, <laughs> that's not in my notes either. Be careful of anything that's not in my notes. Those are the dangerous bits. Um, and all of that was great. Like we were having a really good morning, but then we came to the really exciting stuff, right? The rides. Theme parks are all about the rides. And we came around a corner and we came and we got to the entrance of the storm coaster. Okay, and we said, okay, kids, you're all tall enough. This is great. We can all go on the storm coaster. And they're like, yay, this will be fun. Hooray. So we lined up for the ride. And after a few minutes in the queue, we were all climbing into the roller coaster car or pod or whatever you call the, the bit that you're in. And the way this ride is set up is that the queue leads inside to what is basically a cave. And the roller coaster track is just running through a stream that circles around this cave part. And the coaster cars are shaped like jet boats, like that's kind of the, the whole theme of the ride. And so we climbed into this pod, and it was only two seats wide, and I think it was maybe four rows deep per pod. And I was sitting next to Brianna, and Ethan was in front of us, and Joe and Lucas were behind us. Remember, this is five or six years ago. 
And we had all the harnesses done and the safety bar was in place and they'd done all the safety checks and they'd made sure everybody was okay and then we started floating off around the little stream inside this cave. And then as we came to the exit of the cave, of course, that's when you start heading outside and that's when you start heading up the roller coaster. And so we got onto the winch mechanism or whatever and we just started this long, steep climb up to the top of the roller coaster. And about halfway through the climb, suddenly I hear this voice from behind me say something that I will never forget. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I don't want to do this. Oh no, we may not have done a very good job of explaining exactly what the storm coaster was. He thought the whole ride was in the water at the bottom, just circling around the cave. And suddenly he discovered that there was a very large gap between his expectations and his reality. And he starts freaking out. I want to get off. And he starts actually struggling with his harness. And it's like, no, buddy, it's too late now. You have to stay on the ride until it's finished. You have to wait. You have to wait until it's all over. But then we tried to reassure him, you know, it's going to be fun. It'll be exciting. You're perfectly safe. You're going to really, really love it. And thankfully, he stopped struggling with the harness because I was freaking out. But he was still pretty nervous. And then as we crested over the top of the ride and began our rapid descent, he sort of got pretty freaked out again. And Joe and I did our best to accentuate the fun by cheering and hollering and whooping just a little bit too loud, which is really weird because normally we're not loud at all. And, um, you know, the, just, the, just the usual, I can see my house from here and all that sort of stuff. Or It's more fun if you wave your hands around like this, you know, all that sort of stuff, anything to distract him from his panic. And to be honest, it was working pretty well until we got to the very last part of the ride, which it comes up again, and it does one last final drop. And as you come over the top, because it ends back in the cave, so you're at the top of the steep drop, and all you can see is this black hole that you're about to descend into, which is really fun. Uh, and you, you, you scream down it, and you splash into the water, which gets everybody wet, and then you finish the ride. And it's all fun and games for everyone, unless you're already feeling terrorized, of course. So that was the last straw for Lucas, and I did get his permission to tell you the story, by the way. Uh, he couldn't get out of there fast enough, and he comes, as he's running away, he goes, I'm never going on a roller coaster ever again! And this is the morning of day one of six, where we're going to be going to <laughs> theme parks. It's like, oh dear, this isn't, this isn't working out. And for the rest of the day, any time we were even in sight of the storm coaster, Lucas would cover his eyes so he didn't have to see this thing in the distance. And before we left the park, you know, we, it's the best ride in the whole place, so we all wanted to go on it again, except for Lucas, of course. And so we said, okay, you'll just have to wait over in this area. So as we're walking towards the storm coaster, he was literally running from pillar to pillar so that he could have it in view as little as possible and he'd hide behind a pillar so he couldn't see it. And then suddenly he comes running over to me and he puts both his hands on my arm and goes, dear God, please don't let my daddy die. And then runs off, <laughs> runs back to the pillar. And I looked at Joe and I said, I'm sorry, darling, we broke Lucas. <laughs> this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I think most of us can look back on the last two and a half years, and even in particular this last six or seven months, this winter season that Carl was talking about last week, and say with some confidence 
that this is not what I thought it was going to be. There's this gap, probably for most of us, between our expectations and the reality. And the truth is that this gap, this in-between, is something that we have to deal with all the time. Our expectations are in one place, but our reality can be in another, and we have to find a way to live with that gap in between. And I guess if, the mes- if there was a title for my message, it would be Living with the Gap Between. In the Bible, we see a number of examples where people had to deal with a reality that was different to their expectations. And some would dealt with it really well, and others did not. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we read the story of a man named Naaman. We're going to read a few verses here from uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and then we're going to jump down to 9 to 12. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, in the next few verses, Naaman got permission from his master and from his king, and he, he got some gifts to give and, and all that sort of stuff, so he could go to Israel and, and Samaria and find this prophet. And we jump down to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to, to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, far better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage." So this man, Naaman, was not an Israelite, right? He didn't have a relationship or even really a knowledge of the Lord, but it says there that the Lord was with him in regards to his role as commander of Aram's armies. And when he heard about someone who could heal him of his leprosy, he went about doing everything he could to go and see this man. He got permission from his master. He gathered, it tells us, great gifts of silver and gold and fine clothing. He even got a letter of introduction from his king to give to the Israelite king. And he eventually, when he arrived at Elisha's house, he arrived with great faith. He truly believed and expected that he would be healed. It's just that he had in his mind a picture of what that would look like. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. It's quite a specific picture that he had, isn't it? It's also a little bit grand, maybe even dramatic. But Naaman clearly believed that the cure, the healing, the miracle would take place. So when Elisha sent a message, said, go, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, every single part of Naaman's picture was dismantled and dashed. Elisha didn't come out. Elisha didn't stand. 
He didn't call on the name of the Lord his God. He didn't wave his hand over the spot. And Naaman wasn't cured of his leprosy right there. And then, he, instead, he was told he had to go somewhere else. There was a delay. There was a gap. He had to wait and do something very mundane that he could have done back in his home without having traveled all this way. So he went off in a rage. And excuse me, I'll just take a quick drink. Just pause. Isn't it a nice day? <laughs> Actually, I can see out the window. Every now and then people wander past and try to figure out whether they're allowed on the bouncy castle. It's quite funny. <clears throat> not that I'm distracted. So he, he went off in a rage. This is not what he thought it was going to be. And it could easily have been the end of the story here. But luckily, Naaman had some friends and servants there with him who talked him down. And there's a couple of verses later. It says this, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The gap between his expectation and the reality nearly cost Naaman this miracle, this healing. If he hadn't listened to his servants and then been obedient to what had been asked of him, then I would imagine the leprosy would have remained. In fact, as you read on further in the story, Naaman goes back to Elisha to thank him and then promises him that he will only worship the Lord God from that day forward. Because of the way it took place, because of the obedient step that Naaman took, he was brought into a place of relationship with, this, with the Lord who he had not known before. You know, I think sometimes our expectation is that God will change the world around us, will change our circumstances, will change our reality, whereas in fact God is much more interested in making a change in us. See, Naaman expected a change in his condition. Naaman had faith for a change in his situation. But not only, God did, not only did God bring about that change, bring about that change in his condition, God also changed his heart. I think the gap between expectation and reality, though, isn't the only gap we experience in our Christian walk. It isn't the only gap we have to live with. I think often there is a gap between what the Word of God says and what the world around us says. And we have to contend with that and find a way to live with that gap. There is a gap sometimes between our prayers and their answers. We have to live in that gap. There's a gap sometimes between what we understand and believe in our faith and what our experiences in life tell us. Sometimes there's a gap that we don't quite understand between those two things. There's a gap even between the way we desire to live out our faith, the way we want to be, and then the choices that we sometimes fall into. Sometimes there is a gap. And there's another gap that I believe many of us experience, which is there is a gap sometimes between God's promises and their fulfillment. The gap between what God has said he will do and the time that it comes to pass. And we have to find a way to live in that gap between. We see many examples of this too throughout Scripture. You know, in Genesis, we read that Abraham was promised a son and, in fact, was promised descendants that would outnumber the stars. 
But then Abraham and Sarah spent 25 years living in the gap between the promise and its fulfillment. And that gap was filled with many challenges, many difficulties, and times when Abraham took matters into his own hands. I'm sure there were moments when Abraham said, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But eventually the promise was fulfilled. We read in Hebrews 6 about Abraham. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. I've got to say, the the writer of Hebrews was very kind to say that Abraham waited patiently. Um, If you read that story, that's quite amazing. You know, in Exodus, we read that when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt to go to the promised land, right? They're going to their promise, but there was a gap. There was a delay of 40 years in the wilderness before the promise was finally fulfilled. And there were certainly times in the desert when the people were crying out that it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. In Exodus 16, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Israelite people were so stuck in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment, so focused on the gap that their description of slavery was we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. That's how focused they got on the gap. They'd lost sight of the promise and they had lost sight of the idea that it would be fulfilled. We read in 1 Samuel about the life of David and we see in his life, again, there was a gap between the promise and the fulfillment. In fact, we see it more than once. At the age of 15, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But it was another 15 years before that came to fruition. And even inside that gap, there was another gap. Because when he defeated Goliath, David was promised the king's daughter in marriage. That was the reward for whoever defeated Goliath. But it was some years before that promise was fulfilled. There was another gap. There was another period of waiting. And even after the waiting, David had to overcome significant obstacles before it happened. And just like these people that we read about, we have to live in those gaps between. We have to live between the promise and the fulfillment. We have to live between the expectation and the reality. And how we live out our days in those gaps or in these winter seasons that Carl was talking about last week, will make a significant impact on our lives and also the lives of those around us. It is in those gaps between, in those times of waiting, in those winter seasons, that God can bring great transformation in us. So what should we do when we find ourselves living in a gap between? What are we supposed to do while we wait? The answer to that question these days seems to be pull out your phone. It's what you do while you wait. But I think there's more that we can do than just pull out our phone. In fact, I've seen there's five things that I see in Scripture that it tells us we can do while we are waiting. If you just wait a moment. I am really sorry about this. I can't do much about it. So here's one, the first one. Five things we can do when we find ourselves in the gap between. Number one, we can stand firm. We can hold our ground. 
James 5 verses 7 and 8 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. While we wait, we can be patient and stand firm. And like the farmer waits for the autumn and spring rains, we too can wait for the season to change. We can continue to hold firm to the promises that God has given us, not to waver, not to get despondent, and as we heard last week, don't shrink back, but instead stand firm on the word of God. Faithfulness is the seed of fruitfulness. In the waiting season, remain faithful, stand firm in the Lord, and allow this season that we're in to be one that grows and matures your faith. The second thing we can do while we're living in the gap is we can take courage. Psalm 27 verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You know, Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble, but to take heart, for he has overcome the world. When we're in a place of waiting, when we're in the gap between, draw your strength and courage from the Lord. Or in Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk on not, and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. As we spend time in his presence, as we rest in his peace, and as we abide in his love, we can surrender all our fears and all our burdens to him so we can take courage. While we are living in this gap, the third thing we can do is we can trust him. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. They will be like a tree planted. See, when you trust God, that is when you can stand firm. And it can be tempting in the gap between to start to make, take matters into your own hands, to start trying to take control, a little bit like Abraham did. But when we trust him, we are surrendering our will to his will, we're declaring again that he is sovereign, that he is Lord, and those who trust him will be like a tree planted. The fourth thing we can do while we wait, while we live in the gap between, is we can hope. Lamentations 3, verses 24 to 26, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Or Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. It's Psalm 33, verses 20 to 22, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. While we wait, we can wait expectantly. We can wait with faith-filled anticipation. We can wait with hope that God is doing something and is going to do something, that he is going to fulfill his word, that he is going to bring transformation, if not to our circumstances, then to our hearts. We wait 
in hope for the Lord. And the fifth thing that we can do while we are in the gap, while we are waiting, is we can worship. Psalm 34 verses 1 and 2. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of his glories and grace. I will boast of all his kindness to me. Let all who are discouraged take heart. In all circumstances, we can praise and worship the Lord. He is worthy of worship no matter what. So in our gap between, in the space between the expectation and the reality, in the space between the promise and the fulfillment, in our waiting, in our winter season, we can continue to lift up and extol and exalt and glorify and praise and worship the mighty name of Jesus, for he is always worthy. Music team, can you come up and join me again? You know, a lot of good can happen in the gap between. A lot of powerful things can happen while we wait on the Lord. In our winter season, in our time of waiting, in our gap between, we can stand firm, we can take courage, we can trust, we can hope, and we can worship. You know, even in Acts chapter 1 and 2, where we read about the disciples and the day of Pentecost, Jesus gave them an instruction. He said to wait in Jerusalem, and the one that God promised will come. His whole his whole instruction, his whole command to them, the only requirement they, they had to outwork was to wait. And then we read in Acts chapter 2 that while they were waiting together and worshiping together, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. So we're going to go back into a time of worship now, church. We're going to take a moment to wait on the Lord, to rest in Him, to put our hope in Him, to be reminded of his goodness, to put our trust in him, even if our expectations and, rea- and the reality that we're in don't match, to be reminded of his promises, even if there is a gap between the promise and the fulfillment. And as we worship, I encourage you to open your hearts to him afresh, to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you, to let God speak to you. This is just a moment for us to wait on the Lord. I just have one more psalm to read before we stand together. It says, Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Would you stand with us again and let's just wait on the Lord and then we're going to worship together.